0: And we're going to read God's word this morning. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So if you do have your Bibles or electronic device and want to follow along, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, So that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Welcome again to CIL this morning. For those of you who just heard that scripture reading, if you're a parent, perhaps the very first thing you thought was, okay, Pastor Chip is going to let the kids have it this morning. This is going to be an obey your parents kind of sermon. And for the kids, they may have thought, oh, no, you know, they're gonna tell, he's going to tell me what I, I need to do better. And For those of you who had that preconceived notion by that scripture, things may be a little bit different this morning. I really want to focus in on that last verse, verse 4, about fathers Don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, and not just fathers, but mothers as well. A few weeks ago, two weeks ago, Aubrey preached on leaving a legacy, and it was a great sermon, and um, as I sat in the the third row there and listened to his sermon, I I was struck by how well he delivered it and and the fact that he was preaching the message I had already written for this Sunday. And I was like, oh, no, you know, what am I going to do? Um, I, I've already prepared this message, and I've already been thinking about it. And God said, relax. I want you to just keep this word that I have given you, and I want you to say what I have given you to say, because what you have to say is going to be a little bit different. And, and your teaching style is a little bit different than Aubrey's, and it's okay to have the same message content two different weeks. And so I was like, oh, good, I don't have to prepare another message. And so this morning, uh, I know that any of you who've been in education know that uh, there's different learning styles and different kids learn in different ways. And and so teachers have to vary their learning style. Well, I'm probably going to be a a little different learning style, this more teaching style this morning than Aubrey was two weeks ago. Um, How many... Farmers, do I have in the room, or, or someone who's known a farm farmer, or driven by a farm, eating vegetables? Okay, all right, a few of you. Um, if you have ever tried to get a mule or a donkey to move, there's really two ways that you're able to do that. The first is is called the carrot, and you can dangle a carrot in front of the donkey or the mule, and and most of the donkeys will be motivated by that carrot, and they'll follow. But then there's certain mules and donkeys that aren't motivated by the carrot at all and and do you know what the other motivation is the stick that's right the carrot and the stick you may have heard that before I, but the, the the carrots the the good the you know trying to to coax them into going but the stick is a little bit harsher and it, it's it's a little more of an encouragement to say hey come on let's let's do this let's go and so while Aubrey's lesson about leaving a legacy may have been a little bit more of a carrot kind of a message this one may tend to be a little bit more of a, of a stick. And so I'm telling you that on the front end because I don't want anyone in here uh, to feel under guilt this morning as I bring this message. Because believe me, I had a great grandmother, but she taught me how to give a good guilt trip. And so I could do that if, if that's what I was supposed to do this morning. But um, I, I, that's not my goal. And so I hope that you'll hear from a heart of love this morning, a message that, that may be a little bit more of a stick than a carrot. There's a a famous quote that probably most of you have heard. It's from a Spanish philosopher, George Santayana. And it says, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I think that if you look through history, this has has played out, even though this was said in the 1800s. I think that if you look in our country, that you begin to see cycles of things repeating themselves. And... I teach in fourth through uh, fifth grade on Sunday mornings, and uh, we've been teaching the Old Testament uh, for the last several years. Because of the fact that I only have the kids for two years out of their, their lives, I can kind of go back to the beginning and start over when I get a new group of kids. And so it's, uh, it's kind of cheating that way, I guess. But it's, it's, uh, it gives me the ability to teach that Old Testament over that two-year period of time. And so for the second time, I've been teaching about the Judges. And I don't know if you've ever opened up the book of Judges and read about the Judges, but it's a very interesting book. It shows the Israelites going through a cycle that repeats itself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout the course of many, many years in the Israelite history. And I'm going to put a diagram up on the screen for you so that you can see this and see how it worked. and it, and it, played out the exact same way every time. It would start at the top. The black circle is apostasy. And I don't know if you've ever heard this word apostasy, but it means deep sin, doing everything you can in order to avoid God, doing exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do. And the Israelites would find themselves in these periods of apostasy where they were worshiping idols and they were serving other gods and they were living like all of the heathen nations that were surrounding them. And so God would get angry with the Israelites, and he would allow them to be delivered into slavery or oppression to one of these neighboring lands. And that's the second circle, servitude. And they would be in bondage and be serving these other countries. And so they would get to the third circle, which is desperation. you ever been in desperation? The Israelites found themselves in desperation over and over again. And so they would cry out to God, Lord God, why have you forsaken us? thinking it was his fault for why they were where they were. And so then they would do something in response to that desperation. They would repent, and they would enter a time of repentance, and God would then look with favor on them, and he would send a deliverer, and they would enter this period of deliverance. And that's when the judge came along, and the judge would deliver them from their oppression. And then they would enter this time of peace, only to start the whole cycle all over again. And just to give you kind of an example about it, I wanted to to read just a a few scriptures starting in in Judges chapter 3, verse 7. This is the first time where we see them falling into apostasy. It says, The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God. So a few verses go by. Judges are there. And we read in verse 11, Then the land was peaceful for 40 years. So we went through apostasy, servitude, desperation, forgiveness, Deliverance, or repentance and deliverance, and then there was peace in the land. It happened very quickly in this one, just a, about four verses. And so in verse 11, we see that there's peace in the land. Yay, everybody's got warm and fuzzies. And so we go one verse into the future, and look, the Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the, the lesson was not one that stuck with them. And so we get to the end of of. Chapter 3, and we find that they've gone through the cycle again, and it says, Moab became subject to Israel that day, and the land was peaceful for 80 years. Like, okay, well, surely they've learned their lesson. And we turn the page and look at the first verse of chapter 4, and it says, The Israelites, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And a couple of chapters later, at the end of chapter 5, in verse 31, it says, and the land was peaceful for 40 years. So you see this cycle repeating itself over and over again. And the other thing that's interesting to note about this is the fact that the number 40 and 80 show up over and over again. And 40 and multiples of 40 in the Bible represent generations. And so there was peace in the land for what would account for one generation or two generations. And so you may ask yourself, well, Why did the Israelites keep falling into this pattern? And if you look at the the second chapter of Judges, and this is right after Joshua has died, it says in chapter 2, verse 10, After them, meaning Joshua and his leaders, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord. How could this be? This is the children of Israel. We're not talking about the Philistines or the Amorites or the Amalekites. We're talking about the children of God. The descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac and of Jacob, of all of the children of Jacob, and that's when he became known as Israel and the Israelite nation was formed. How could they not know God? If anybody had an opportunity to know God, it was the children of Israel. And so you wonder, how in the world could an entire generation grow up not knowing God? And all of a sudden you begin to wonder, am I talking about the Israelites or am I talking about today because there's something missing both in the story of judges and there's something missing in our world today, and it's two words, generational accountability. And as we look through the scripture today and look through this lesson that was left for us in the book of Judges, we realize that generational accountability is the only thing that stands between a generation who has peace and a generation that is desperate and living in servitude. So I've got five questions this morning for us to work through. And the first one is, what is at risk? If we don't do anything about generational accountability, what is at risk? For the Israelites, it was their freedom and their way of life. They had it made when they entered the promised land. Joshua was the the great general and he led them across the Jordan River and they marched around the city of Jericho and the walls fell down. And and that was just the first of many miracles that God did in in their midst as he delivered the enemies into their hand and delivered the land into their hands. You know, the, the promised land, it was promised to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to all of his descendants. And it was said to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And so it was a great land for them to be in. And they had plenty of of places to go. And The Israelites went on a northern campaign, taking over the north. And then they went on a southern campaign, taking over the south. And they began to spread out. But during the life of Joshua, they were constantly at war. And near near the end of his life, it says that they were weary and tired. And so they decided to take a break from the war and just rest in the peace that they had. And resting in the peace that they had wasn't a bad thing if if they would have done what God told them to do. And God told them, you can rest for a period of time, but you've got to pick up this battle again, and you've got to drive out these other land, other people from the land. You cannot have any of these enemy tribes around you. You must drive them out. That was their one thing that they had to do, but it wasn't even hard. All they had to do was basically show up, and God would deliver the enemy into their hands. But they got this close to the finish line and sat down and said, you know what? I'm just too tired to go on. And Joshua and his leaders die, and all of a sudden you see this cycle beginning of generations not knowing God. For us the biggest risk of generational accountability is looking at what it means to our children and our children's children and their children, understanding that the things that we do today have an impact. After the first service, I was talking to Aubrey up here, and I was looking at these tables, and these tables are beautiful slices of wood from a a big tree. I don't know if you've ever come and taken a look at these. But the interesting thing about a tree is if you cut it or you, you slice it long ways and you look at the inside of a tree, what do you see? You see the grains and you see the rings in the tree. And what, is, what do the rings tell us about a tree? It tells us about the years that that tree has existed. The wide rings mean that there was lots of, of water for the tree during that year. A narrow ring means that there wasn't much water. And you can look back and you can see the history of time in that tree. And the same could be said of any family. If you were to look at the family tree and, and see the different grains, you'd see, well, there's, there's grandpa back here in the center of the tree. And here's all of the rings that are coming off from grandpa. And, and, and here's my dad. And here's all the rings that came off from him. And all of us have the opportunity to be part of a family tree. And even if, if you don't have grandparents or parents alive today, you have the opportunity to start a family tree today. So I want you to think about that in terms of this generational accountability what if a hundred years from now if you cut open my family tree what would you see what would be at the center of that tree would it be big wide bands of lots of growth and good opportunity or would it be a tree that has narrow bands that was barely growing at all researchers today are already predicting declines in church growth the importance of marriage into charitable charitable giving is declining and the importance of God and the family. All of those things are on the decline, and and I didn't have to tell you that. All you have to do is turn on the news or open up a newspaper, and you can see those things taking place in our lives. And I think that we all tend to be very quick to say, oh, well, it's, it's the media's fault, it's TV, it's the news, it's video games, it's all of these things. But the real answer about why we're in this period of decline is really much more painful of an answer, and it tends to be a finger pointing back at us. That we're the ones that maybe are the cause of this. And so it brings me to my next question, generational accountability, how did we lose it? When I was growing up, one of my favorite TV shows was Little House on the Prairie. Any Little House fans out there? Anybody? Uh, three or four people. Well, I watched it in prime time when I was a kid because it was actually a new show at that point in time. It wasn't in reruns or on DVDs. And Little House on the Prairie was this great story about the Ingalls family living in Walnut Grove, Kansas, and they were living on the frontier in the late 1800s, and the little town of Walnut Grove had all kinds of interesting characters, but the one thing that was, was true about the show from the beginning to the end is that the school met in the church building, Right? So on Sunday, the, the uh, minister would come into town and would preach in the, the building, and then Monday through Friday, the teacher would come in and teach in this one-room schoolhouse. And back in that time of our country, a lot of rural America was like this, where the church and the school was combined. And so it wasn't uncommon for school to be an opportunity to teach children about God and about how to live life and so forth but some things some things not one thing but some things began to happen in the late 1800s one the the um, people in america began to populate to the point where they wouldn't all fit into a one room schoolhouse and and a church wasn't really adequate for handling school any longer and and quite honestly one of the biggest things that happened uh, the Protestants decided in order to try to keep Catholicism from becoming popular in this country, that they would pass laws that prevented the government from being able to give money to schools. And so, you know, we get up in arms today, like we don't have prayer in public school, and, you know, we don't have this, and we don't have that, we don't have rights to tell our, our kids what, you know, what's right in public schools. And guess what? We were the ones who did that to ourselves, Four generations ago, five generations ago, we did that to us. We have no one else to blame except ourselves. And so that's how we lost generational accountability. It wasn't one pow moment. It wasn't one decision, but it was a lot of little things that led up to a pow kind of a moment. And so we look at our lives and we look at how things begin to happen. There was a song a few years ago that said, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. We don't typically wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I think I will ruin my life today. That's not typically the the thought process that goes behind it. I'm sure that the the church leaders in the 1800s didn't all get together somewhere in the, the country in some clandestine meeting and say, you know what? Let's really screw up the next generation. Let's get rid of private schools and churches. They didn't do that. It wasn't a thought process that they entered into. It was just a slow fade. One decision after another decision after another decision until they had lost that generational accountability. I'll give you some examples of how it might look. And these are not, again, meant to put guilt on anybody. So if, if if I start stepping on toes, please, you know, that's not my intention today. But I can imagine, it's never happened to our family, you know, praise God, no, just kidding. But I can imagine that there might be a Sunday where you wake up late for church. If you're supposed to, you know, I, I, don't, I get here for the early service, so I'm trying to think. You know, you might, uh, you're trying to get here at, at 1045, well, 1055 for most people. But anyway, you're trying to get here on time, and you say, I'm going to get up at 9 o'clock. And you wake up, and the, the clock says 10 and it's already 10 o'clock, and you know that it's at least a 15-minute drive, and you know, you've got three kids to get ready, and oh my goodness, I don't want to walk in at the end of song service when the lights are on, and people are going to be staring at me, and so you know what, we've been to church the last 51 weeks, this week we're just going to take it easy and stay at home, and you go back to sleep, no harm, no foul, not a big deal. A few weeks goes by and you're out one Saturday night at a ball game and, and it gets really late and all the kids are cranky and tired and you're going home and you start to think, oh, I'm dreading getting up in the morning to go to church. You know what? It felt really good when I slept in a few weeks ago. Hey, let's just, let's just sleep in tomorrow. We'll just skip one, one time at church. And it's not that big of a deal. And then another thing happens a few months later. And then another thing. And then another thing. And pretty soon, it's a slow phase. And all of a sudden you find yourself where it's a lot easier to stay at home than it is to go to church. Now, I'm literally preaching to the choir this morning because you're here. But maybe you know a family who you've seen this happen to. Or maybe it was your family. Maybe you experienced it as a child and, and you've done something to change that over time. And so that's why you're here this morning. And if that's the case, praise God. But it's a slow fade. Another example is from just last week. As I told you before, I teach the fourth and fifth grade, and every Sunday morning, right after our song service, we have an offering bucket, and we give the kids a chance to to give. Not because that we think they're out working at McDonald's or anything. They're fourth and fifth graders, but they may be walking the dog, or, or uh, watering the plants, or watching a younger sibling, and, and maybe they're making a few dollars, or maybe you know for cleaning their room they get get a dollar. Whatever the case but we want them to understand this idea of giving. And so I starting, I'm starting to pass the bucket, and I said, does anyone have any tithes this morning? And there were seven kids in the class, six of them in unison said, what's a tithe? And I, I was like, you don't know what a tithe is? And all of a sudden it began just making me very heartbroken that this is something that is, is not getting passed on from our generation to the next. When I was a kid, there was no online giving, and believe me, I'm a big fan of online giving, like to use it, glad that most of you use it, but every Sunday I saw my, my grandmother putting money in, and she would put money into my hand, and I would give that money, and it wasn't anything that I had earned, it was the process of teaching me, I've received and now I'm giving, and I'm putting that money in, the. and it was a, a muscle memory kind of a thing that I was learning the act of giving. And even though I was only three or four years old, I was learning and I was growing. And maybe with online giving, we're missing that little piece of things. And maybe it's a conversation with our kids to say, you know what? When you're in church with us on Family Sunday and you see me just pass the bucket without putting anything in it, it's not because I'm not giving. Look, here's my phone and here's how we give and here's, here's how we can do this. But let's teach you how to give. And so I'm kind of stepping on my next point of how can we get accountability back? How can we get back this generational accountability? Well, One of the first things that the Israelites found themselves in, in need of was repentance. They had to go back to seeking God and then ask for a deliverer. Well, We're in, in a good situation because guess who our deliverer is? Jesus, he's already come. We're not having to wait for some Messiah. He's already been here and done the work and delivered us. And just like Aubrey was saying earlier, he left the Holy Spirit behind to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit, who's also called the counselor, the comforter, the encourager, all of those things describe the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And so if we really want to reach out to God and say, God, I want to have this accountability back, the way to get it, is just to ask the Holy Spirit to pray, to pray, God, show me what it is that I need to do in order to get this accountability back. But it's not going to be easy. For those of you who don't know our family, we have six kids. Now, we didn't give birth to all six of those kids. They kind of come to us all different kinds of ways. But when you have six kids, you can tell a generic story and it won't embarrass one of them. And you you guys can try to figure out who it was later. But one of our children one time was wanting to do something. And me being the, the father, you know, the, trying to be the encouraging father, I said, you are going to have to work really hard if you want to do this thing. And I was, uh, you know, trying to encourage them, but, but also set the expectations. And so I'm talking about, well, you know, what the steps would be. And, and I said, so, you know, you're going to have to work hard. Are you, are you re- willing to work hard? And I expected a, yes, sir. And instead, I'm looking into their eyes, and are you ready to work hard? And they looked me in the eyes and said, no, just medium. (laughs) And I had to say, well, it's an honest answer. But if we want to see generational accountability come back, it's not going to be a medium effort. It's going to have to be something that we're willing to fight for. There's another quote that I'm sure you've probably heard before. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. It says, all that it takes for evil to exist or persist in the world is for good men to do nothing. It requires work in order for us to stem the tides in our life. The devil would love for us to be convinced that we're good. We don't really need to do anything more. You know what? My kids are almost grown. I've, I've done a pretty good job. I'm putting it on cruise control and just coasting the rest of the way. They can bring me some grandkids once in a while. Guess what? That's not the way to raise a generation who knows God. You can't let your foot off the gas. You've got to continue to press in and press on in order for cultural or generational accountability to take its place in your life, in order for you to be able to cut open that tree and see those rings developing around the life that you tried to form for your family. We have to examine our own lives and ask God to point out those things to us where we need to change. Where we need that accountability. So, let's take the church attendance example for just a second. Maybe you get to that point where you realize, you know what, we've we've missed six out of the last ten Sundays. Something's got to change. Believe me, there are a lot of Sundays where we wake up and we either have slept late or something's gone wrong. Isn't that the way that it happens though? You know, the the baby had an exploding diaper or the dog chewed up your shoes, or something happens. It's Sunday. Something is always going to happen. Uh, You know, you you wake up, and you're getting ready, and you think, you know, my child is surely getting ready, and 10 minutes to go, you yell, Zach, you ready? And you hear, what? And he's just woken up with 10 minutes to go, like, get ready. We got to run. I got to go. I am supposed to be at church at 8 o'clock. We haven't eaten breakfast You know, that's the way it happens. It's this big stress ball waiting to explode on every Sunday morning. And that's kind of life. But guess what? You have to plan for it. And maybe you tell your family, say, look. This coming Sunday, we want to be there, and we want to be there on time, so we're going to get up at this time, and we're going to leave the house at this time, and, and maybe it's time for a carrot. And you say, look, if we all get ready, I'll take us to McDonald's for breakfast or, you know, something like that. And you use whatever means necessary to say, this is how we're going to change our family tree. This is how we're going to get generational accountability it's because we're going to be at church this morning. You know, I I grew up in a very dysfunctional home in so many ways. But the one thing that I can look back and be thankful for is that my parents got me to church on Sunday mornings when I was a little kid. Now, the morning always, I knew it was Sunday because my parents were in the house arguing with each other and yelling at each other. That was how I knew it was Sunday morning. And, you know, our trip to church, 30-minute drive, was them yelling at each other. And we'd get out to church, and, you know, they'd open the door, and it was like, you know, the spirit left and came in and said, hi brother, how you doing? Good to see you this morning. But they got me to church. It didn't matter how they got me there, they got me there. And I was being fed and I learned that I needed to be there. And so even later when they wouldn't go, I knew that I needed to be there and I would get myself to church on a Sunday morning. When it comes to giving, our kids need to understand how to give. They need to be taught. And maybe you don't know what the word tithe means or what an offering is or that there's a difference between the two. But guess what? There are resources that help you be able to learn that. Maybe it's someone else that, uh, that you know within the church. Maybe you Google it and look and see what, what, is, what it is. Or maybe you get a book at a Christian bookstore on how to handle finances and it teaches you how to teach your children about the tithe and about the offering. When our middle son was at uh, his school in his junior year, I believe, he was given the opportunity to take a personal finance course, and they learned Dave Ramsey's personal finance, and that one semester has made a huge impact in his life. I wish that I had had the opportunity to teach that to all of our other kids, because it has, it has really encouraged him about saving and, uh, and, and spending money wisely and not being in debt and all those kinds of things that are important for him to know. We've got to pass that information on to our children. When Zach comes to me with his fifth grade homework and he says, Dad, I need your help, and I look at him like, I have no idea. I, you know, you're in fifth grade. What, what is this? And, and I've, I've got to try to help him. I, I don't have the option to say, sorry, son, I'm taking the week off, um, You're on your own. You'll have to just figure this out. Come back to me when you're doing something I know how to help you with. I have to educate myself, and that's what we need to do with our children. We need to educate ourselves so that we can pass that on to them. I know that this is Family Sunday, and so there's little kids in here, and so I'm going to be very careful how I explain this next one, but it's important that it's said. How to treat the opposite sex and marital relations. There's a a person who is a member of our church named Eric Poulin. If you don't know Eric, you need to get to know him. Get on social media, look him up, ask ask him to be your friend. He has a cause that he has been behind for the last year, uh, an organization he started called Forge and Foundry. And the principle behind this is that he wants to uh, change the world, not just Hendersonville or his family. He wants to change the world by teaching this next generation of young men about how to treat Young women. Because there's a a whole supply and a demand thing that he's realized, being a businessman, he's realized if we cut off the thirst and hunger for pornography and sex trade, what's going to happen to it? It's going to go away. It's going to die. It's going to shrivel up and go away if we can truly teach our boys, our young boys, that every girl they meet is a sister in Christ. You teach boys that every girl that they know is their sister all of a sudden their outlook of things is going to change. The only time that they should never look at a girl as a sister is once they finally make that decision to marry someone, then that one woman for them is something completely different. And you can teach them about how to cherish their wife at that point. But every other woman in the world should be their sister. Those are some kind of principles that We don't see being taught in our world today. This generational accountability, it starts with teaching some common sense stuff and teaching some things that don't line up with the rest of the world. The Israelites kept trying to do things that made them like the other tribes. They kept on saying, we want to worship the gods like they do because, you know what, it seems like they have a really good time. And, you know, so we're, you know, a couple of idols in the house, it's not a big deal. It led to their destruction. It led to their oppression. It led to slavery for them. They had to throw off those things. In order for generational accountability to be gotten back, we have to throw off those things. So once we have our generational accountability back, how can we keep it? This speaks to accountability within the body. I don't know how many of you really feel like you have people in your lives that you're accountable to, but a great way for you to start is to be part of a 242 group putting in a little plug for 242 tonight. If you've never been to a 242 group, go, try it. I've never learned that they've ever cooked anyone and eaten them. I think you'll be okay going to a 242 group, even if you've never been before. It's a fun place to go. You'll learn some other families. You'll get to know some people. You'll find out you're not the only person going through the things in life that you're going through. So go to a 242 group. Be part of a Bible study. Be part of something that is helping you to be accountable in your life. Because it's only through this accountability from one to another that we will ever get to a place where we are keeping the generations knowing God year after year. Another way that we can keep accountability in our lives is to study the Word ourselves. If you want to make sure that you know God, what's the best way to do that? Talk to Him, read about Him. Study his word. It would be awesome to get to know him firsthand, right? That's a great way to make sure that we keep our accountability. So finally, the last question is, what's the reward? What's unique about the reward for this is that it's not necessarily something that you're going to see tomorrow, maybe not even in the next few years. Because, you know, if you were to cut a tree down that's only this big around, you wouldn't see much of a tree. You have to wait a while before you start to see the effect that a decision I've made today has had on this generation and on the next generation and on the next generation. The greatest legacy that you could leave... Going back to Aubrey's lesson from two weeks ago, the greatest legacy you could leave, you may not even realize. It may be six generations from now when you're long gone and your great, 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 great grandchild recognizes and says, you know what? My ancestor, Ben, took our ancestors to church and got us involved. And we have had that legacy passed down from generation to generation. And the reason why we're in church today is because he made a decision in 2,000 whatever, in order to be in church and to have his family in church. Is that gonna be your legacy? And maybe six generations from now, you've built some generational wealth in your family and they're able to look back and you say, you know what, the reason why is because our great, 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 great grandfather, Tommy, tithe. And he taught us the importance of that, and we began to build some generational wealth in our family, and we owe it all to that guy. And we look in our family tree, and we see those rings growing out from there. And those rings are our reward. In just a second, we're going to be taking communion together. And I don't know what things that God may be speaking to you about accountability. I, I know that there's things that he speaks to me on a regular basis. And those are the things that maybe I'm struggling with and it may not be the same for you. But if you ask God, I bet he'll reveal it to you. So in the next few minutes, as we're passing out the communion elements, as we're having a moment to contemplate, ask God, Lord, what is it that you would have me to work on in my family? What is it, maybe, a, maybe you're a grandparent and, and there's something that you need to be doing for your grandchildren to teach them accountability. Ask God, and I'm sure that he will reveal it to you. When the offering or when the communion comes your way, just hold on to the bread and the cup. I'll come back up and we'll take it together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for the way that you do instruct us and guide us. And Lord God, we pray in these next few moments that you would reveal to us what it is that you would be speaking to us about accountability. And as we take the cup and the juice and and, and the, the bread, that Lord God, that we would realize the importance of those things in our lives and that we would commit this day to change our family tree. And we ask this in Jesus' name.